This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're now listening to Boomsies with Dan O'Toole on the Bet Rivers Network. Hi, I'm Dan. I had tummy troubles on Monday, so we didn't do a Fun Day Monday podcast. I had a bowling ball on my stomach. I couldn't get out of bed. Maybe I had like a 24-hour flu. I don't know what it was, but uh, I told guys. I told guys. I told guys. Hey, guys. I can't do it. I Every time I open my mouth, I feel like I'm going to puke. They're like, okay. We're, uh, we're taking a, a flyer on this one. We're taking the day off. Instead, we're doing a Friday Friday podcast this week because uh, I got to speak to a buddy of mine. We've never met in person, but we, uh, we message each other and this guy put out a book, Justin Bourne book is called uh, down and back on alcohol family in a life in hockey. He's a, uh, it's a, it's a great read. It felt like homework that I had to read a book cause I wanted to go and prepared. I didn't want to say, Hey, what's this book about? Sat down, read it, and once I started, I couldn't put it down. Uh, This book is now out wherever you get books, and here is the man now, Mr. Justin Bourne. Justin, I just finished this book, and if you replaced, well, the hockey parts and some of the names, this book could be about me. <laughs> you know, I uh, I am familiar with you and your story somewhat, and I thought there might be some overlap between us, Dan. Yeah, yeah. I was reading like, okay, the being in rehab and making your bed. Okay, I still do that every day. It seemed pointless, but now it's part of your routine. Another one of the things was a Frank Sinatra quote. I'm like, I can't believe you included this. I feel sorry for people who don't drink when they wake up. That's the best they're going to feel all day, and then you go into Oh man, I was part of that club. I'm not part of that club. I'm like, I always thought about that. I'm like, why would I want to be part of that club? <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, you know, uh, you know, in talking about this lately, it is such a, a thing in like sports culture and all that to like have drinks with the team and you can't trust someone who doesn't drink and it feels better to drink and like you're just bombarded with that. And so coming to grips with not getting to be that uh, is a hard, hard, uh, acceptance. I think, I don't know about you, but it was for me. Yeah. And, uh, and mention of, uh, a buddy of mine, Rich Clune, Dickie's even in here. I know Dickie was my dude. He was the first call. I called him crying like a baby 
And I said, uh, Rich, I think I need help. And he's like, yeah, you need help. <laughs> he's like, you can eliminate the I think from that. But he was so unreal. Um, but when I went to rehab, he was, he showed up in like a full suit because he was like rushing off to the Marley's bus to go on a road trip. But he like came in to visit me. Um, he's the dude, man. He's a part of my support system. What a guy. And is, is it just me or could he not be like a Hollywood actor? He could be a bad guy. He could be a good guy. He just has that presence. Yeah. I went to, he does act, you know, you know, yeah. Oh, did I just like lose lights? What happened here? This is no, I figure that out. It's okay. We can edit that. There we go. I guess it's on a timer. It's on a timer. I guess. Um, but Dickie is an actor. Like he, I went to a, a premiere of his, of a short film he was in. He is a passion. He's got the look for sure. He's uh yeah, he's making his, making a go at that world. You can totally see how it fits. Now you have to do a follow-up book because I was waiting for the, I kept going to the chapters, going to the chapters. I was like, okay, where's it going to be where he ends up on hockey night in Canada, hockey night. Ah, oh, and then the book ended. So you need to make a second book now because I, I, you reached out to me um, after I posted something and you read between the lines because I was like, ah, I don't want to spell it out that I went to rehab and stuff because you, you kind of feel shame. You touch upon that in the book. Um, but when you were in hockey night in Canada, I'd message you. I'm like, you're, you're at the desk. Put in, put into words sitting at the hockey night in Canada desk, because I would have loved to have read about that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like I'd never really had much in the way of career goals or life goals. I don't really know what I was going to do with myself ever, but like the one thing that was clear to me for whatever reason is like that to me would be the pinnacle of sports media, hockey, journalism, whatever. And I always have been like a Ron McLean fanboy. I've always thought he was such a, you know, a, a clever mix of thoughtful and still a legitimate hockey guy. And so I kind of held him up as like someone I would love to, to work on. I walked out of rehab and I think I said this in the book, but like my one career thing was like, that's where I wanted to end up. So uh, during the third round of playoffs last year, Kevin Bieksa was like, I'm going to go home because I live in Anaheim and I'm cool. So he, they needed someone to fill in. And I don't know how that process worked, like how I got the call after that. Um, I like to think that Ron had some say and that I got to be the person. But um, yeah, so I got to do it and I almost threw up in my mouth and I was terrified the whole time. But I didn't throw up on the show. I actually had like fantasies in my brain of like what it would look like if I actually puked on the desk. Um, but I didn't. So it was but, but if you do throw up on TV, it's always in the back of your mind. Well, this will be a viral moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to get so many Twitter followers. <laughs> you know what was really cool, though, is when I, I uh, after the first show, Ron McLean came into the wardrobe because Ron doesn't dress with the rest of us. He's like Ron McLean. So he came in to where I was getting ready and he gave me a pen, this like most beautiful pen, which I looked up online, costs more than I earn uh, most of the week. Um, but anyway, he gives a beautiful pen and he says he gives it to everyone who makes it on the hockey night in Canada. And he wrote a thing in the card about how my dad as an Islander lost, they lost to the Edmonton Oilers on that day of my first. So he's like, you know, on this day, 20 years ago, one born dynasty ends and another one begins or something like that. It was just the most Ron McLean dot connecting thing. And it was just kind of like the, everything I hoped it would be experience of being on the show with him. Uh, speaking of your last name, I was talking to a buddy and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk to Justin Bourne here. I just, uh, I just finished his book. He's like, 
is that like Jason Bourne? Like the Bourne movies? Like the Bourne supremacy? I'm like, yeah, let's go with that. It's, we're talking about the Bourne movies. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. My, I just mentioned wardrobe. If you go look at wardrobe, it's Sportsnet Studios. It says Jason Bourne on the tag. Because <laughs> whoever puts the stuff up, just like, ah, it sounds right. I've heard that name before. I don't even correct people anymore. Um, I just, I was just yes. going to say, what if, what if those movies were like awful, though? I'm so grateful that they were at least held the name up well. They are. I got to go back and revisit them. They're the ones with the really long car scenes, right? Probably. I, you know, I'm with you. P- I know that people like them. I'm not, I don't really do movies. <laughs> well, don't get me started on movies. I had a Star Wars conversation with our producer, producer Tim, uh, uh, previous podcast, and... I get the gist of movies, but obviously I don't get the gist enough. Feel the dreams. You ask me what goes on in Feel the Dreams, I know exactly what happens. And uh, Hold on. that's you mean movies generally you don't understand what happens? Star Wars, it's like I don't know all the moons. I didn't know Darth Vader wasn't the chief bad guy. There was someone above the rankings above Darth Vader. I thought he was the guy in charge. He's not even the guy in charge. Is that true? Because that blows my mind if that's See? true. I'm not I, alone. No, I actually, I find this very validating. I, I'm, I, it's not that I, I don't think I'm smart enough to figure it out. I'm always kind of like, if I don't understand it, maybe they'll reveal it to me later. And then when they don't, I just go on with my day. I don't know. Not a movie guy. Like you're like me, you get the gist. You, you yeah. have enough where you can have a conversation, not too. Andy got out of the jail, I think. Right. What's that? Andy Dufresne got out of the jail. What is this yeah. timer? You aren't moving enough. I think it's on a motion sensor timer. Okay. We'll do the show like this from now on. <laughs> uh, one of the other things, again, this, this book could be about me. So when you're starting the recovery process, you're inundated with the word God. And I was born and raised a Roman Catholic. And I'm like, F that guy, screw yeah. this. And you go into detail about that. You also talk about how a lot of uh, former athletes, they, they wear their recovery as like a, a badge. And you kind of were like me. You're like, well, I don't want this to, uh, to be all that I am. But the further I got into my journey, I'm like, well, you know what? I can help somebody. And I believe you uh, did the exact same thing. Yeah, I you know, it's funny. I think it takes another alcoholic to pick out the pieces you're picking out. Those are like hyper-specific things that seem to resonate with like our community. And that was one thing is that when I went to treatment, I knew that the 12-step program uh, involves God and finding God and accepting a God. And so I was like, I thought starting my treatment, I was going to have to lie. Like I just assumed I was going to have to say, yeah, yeah, yeah I believe, or whatever to get along with the program and not cause a problem. But I was so grateful that they were able to connect it to the idea of just something that matters more than you, something, what, you know, what is something that, you know, is more important. And, you know, in the book, I mentioned that for me, it's like my familial ecosystem, my mom, my aunt, my uncle, my cousins, my brother, my wife, my kids, like everyone is better when I'm better. I am just a, a part of a healthier environment when I'm better. And so that for me is, when I say God and I held up my, got my chip, I, you know, with the serenity prayer in the back, it starts God. And I don't, I'm not a God guy, but I am someone who believes in something more than me. So I, I have found what that means for me, which makes me able to do it. And yeah, with the whole, like, uh, not being defined by 
I don't want people to be like, oh, it's Justin Bourne. He's the alcoholic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not the legacy I hope to leave, but you're right. I, I can see now how, whether I like it or not, it's a part of who I am. And that's one of the opportunities I have to do some good. So like you, I like, I see a way into doing better through it rather than people like, rather than feeling shame about it. That's right. Take out the shame. That's what I did. I'm like, Hey, just run with this. Um, one of the funniest stories in this book, I actually reread, <laughs> reread it because I'm like, this is so crazy. You and your brother were at a game. Uh, yeah, your dad was with the Kings and they were playing the flames and you were going back and forth from dressing room to dressing room and the players were signing notes on a Jersey. This is before cell phones and everything. They were signing notes on a Jersey and then you were going back to the other room and they were putting more notes. And at the end of all this, the passing of notes from locker room to locker room, they took the Jersey and got rid of it. You didn't even see what the notes were. They what do you think it. they were? They must have burned it. And I'm told that I think there's like a lot of fights that game. Like, I don't know what sort of things. I must have been too young to like really read and process it. I, I just know that like someone wrote something nasty on one of our jerseys. <laughs> and so I'm pushing my disabled brother in a wheelchair, which probably has, you know, like, do we swear in your show or not? Yes, we'll be. It, you know, probably says like, you know, you, you know, see in the corner, whatever. <laughs> And and so we went back and forth up until the game, which I also think about is like how different the hockey culture was that they were just like up until the game. I was a kid in the dressing room. Yes. Like it's just a wholly, totally different world. And that, you know, so I've said like I have an autographed Gretzky stick, but if I could have one piece of sports memorabilia, I would love to have the double signed Flames Kings jersey of my youth. I know. I would love to see a mini movie on you speculating what it said. And you not only do you have a Gretzky sign stick, I believe you said you have the the Easton metal oh, stick. Yes. Oh, yeah. Weighs 13 pounds, has a foam grip, used it for road hockey. I don't really understand the evolution of hockey sticks because I can't imagine that that was a lighter product than wood. At the How time. did no one die? Like if you run into the boards with that stick, you get impaled. It's a great point. Like, and how did you need a second one? Like, didn't those companies go out of business when they sold like two sticks to Gretzky and that was for the year? Like all he would have needed. I, I went through a phase, all the sticks I used in, in, you know, it would have been, I guess the late nineties were like rebar. They were just heavy metal that you couldn't bend and never needed replacing a different time in hockey stick technology. Do you have a, Wayne Gretzky signed Titan stick. No, is that the red one? That's the red one. That's the Holy Grail, I think. Yeah, you know, my dad had a year he used the red one. I actually do have a red one in my mom's garage somewhere, and I don't know what's on it. This is one of the things, like, being the son of an NHLer was not what everyone thinks it is, but I do just have, like, gear laying around that, like, might be of value and probably is. I don't know. I had a signed stick. Uh, my buddy was on the Memorial Cup winning team for the Sioux Greyhounds, and he got this an entire signed stick by the team. And we were playing road hockey uh, when he was home that summer, and we needed an extra stick because one of the sticks broke. We used that stick. We're like, oh, yeah. ah, f- it. it's probably not worth that much, but it'd be still kind of cool to have. But no, we destroyed the thing playing road hockey with it. Yeah, you know, I kind of have this theory, you know, like, it's not like you were going to sell the stick. Yeah. And you got some appreciation out of it. 
Like I, you know, when my kids have like nice clothes, my wife's like, don't let them wear the whatever. Like, can we, I, I'm with the belief you got to use stuff. So <laughs> I support your use of an autographed Memorial Cup winning stick. Uh, I have to go back to one thing about your drinking days. IPAs? What were you thinking? Uh, higher Disgusting. alcohol. Disgusting. Disgusting. What was your drink of choice? Uh, red wine and bourbon. Yeah. I'll, hold on. You need to see if this will turn it on. <laughs> no. No. Um, yeah. Red wine and bourbon. And I was a, a beer and vodka guy. The the IPA, like you go to the, you know, I, I used to go to the banknote on kind of King and Bathurst there quite a bit. And, uh, you know, they had the bone shaker on tap, which is like 7%. That way, when I went out for a drink with my wife, I could be like, I had two beers, but they're like 300%. You know, so I could get my intake. Uh, yeah, pretty sad that it all came down to checking percentages on bottles to figure out what I could get the most of. I never understood the scotch people. I was at a Super Bowl party and a, a buddy of mine was drinking scotch and I always hated scotch. And I'm like, let me smell that. And I just wanted to reaffirm my distaste now for alcohol i smelt it instant i was like oh i almost threw up in my mouth i don't i never understood and will never understand scotch people i think they're fooling themselves that it tastes good see the the pain was part of what i enjoyed with the idea the bitterness like if maybe that's part of the shame where i wasn't worth something tasting good and i just needed to i need my beer to taste like rapini ideally i would like it to be like a really bitter i don't know it's it is different uh but even now as i say when i when i like get hand sanitizer or something that like heavy alcohol smell it is like a real blast from the past of shame days for sure so oh i want to i want to see a mini documentary on all the hand sanitizers that came out during the height of the pandemic and some of them i don't think they should have been able to be sold because you put it on your hands and some of them, you could feel it instantly. You're like, this is not going to smell good. Cause it's not going away. This is just turning into like a, a, a hand cream now. And then you put it up to your face and just the whiff of it. Oh yeah. You didn't. Yeah. I didn't need my hand sanitizer brought to you by Jose Cuervo. That was not <laughs> the plan when I woke up in the morning for sure. Well, a lot of those alcohol companies turn their factories into hand sanitizer companies during the pandemic. Yeah, no, it's and I understand everyone had to do what they did to get by, but I don't think alcohol companies were hurting. You know, that's actually a, a, that was more your timing. How was getting sober sober during the pandemic? Ah, uh, it was fine. As well, obviously, I, I was able to got th- get through it. I just did it because I wanted to live. Yeah. Were you, yeah. You were like near dying. I've seen your before and after pick and I have the same one of like two years difference. How about the difference in like your skin color two years ago? I know. I So I had the, the thing going in my brain. So my face would always be dry like the day after drinking whatever. I'm like, ah, it's, I just got to try a different uh, thing on my face. It was never cluing in that it was the alcohol that was drying out your face and that mark on my head in the before and after picture was from a super bowl party where i lost the fight against gravity and fell uh into someone's fridge oh man and they they tell the story now it's like the it gets told every super bowl party they're like yeah we saw you falling couldn't get there in time and so (laughs) that that timing then was almost exactly when you got sober like, that was, I, I woke up the Monday morning after the Super Bowl, said I need help. And then I was in rehab uh, the next day. Did you go here in Toronto? 
I went to a place uh, in Port Hope. Okay. Yeah. And same as me for a month? Uh, yes. Yeah, I was there for a month and uh, I got the, just like movies, I got the gist of it. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't like the structure of rehab at all. I'm like, like all our brains work. I know better than this. But then I realized that day one, I didn't, and then just jumped in the recovery community. It is, it is different. And you're with so many people who are like you in so many ways, but so different in so many ways and trying to like, you're trying to figure out your own life, but all of a sudden you have to like manage like 20 new relationships with unstable people at their absolute lowest points of their lives. There is, there is some mental gymnastics that I'm glad to have been through that part of it for sure. Um, My, my thing I always go back to is when I, when I uh, got into recovery, I'm like, okay, how am I ever going to have fun again? And am I going to lose friends? And I'm, I try to wrap my head around that now because what I say to myself is what was fun about it? I want to rephrase the question. And not only did I not lose friends, I have gained some of the greatest friendships I've ever had in my life in a two year span, like friends that I live and die with now that check in on me every day that I check in on them that I'm like, I've never had a friendship like that, like this my entire life. And there's like such a meaningful depth to those relationships because it's based on something like I did. (laughs) I did. I did have, you know, a lot of friends from my local pub who, you know, stayed with me. And we're still in touch all the time and they come to my kids' birthdays, yada, yada. But there's certainly, it became evident pretty clear who you were friends with because of convenience for drinking. Like someone else who was willing to drink to excess, who prioritized that, who just kind of disappeared when you stopped drinking. And at first you don't want to lose those people. And then you realize they don't care about me or, you know, what am I losing with the person all I ever did was get crushed with. And you're right. Yeah, it is. You you form these relationships of more meaningful depth. But that was the hardest thing is how do you fill your time and how do you have fun? Because like I'm 40. I'm not I don't want to never have fun again. I also don't want people to look at me and go, that guy's probably not fun. And that's how I used to look at people who didn't drink. So figuring that out takes some time. Oh, yeah. So one of the the only negative comment I saw when I posted that thing the other day was like some guys like, Oh, you must be real fun at parties now. And I'm like, and I responded with, if you think alcohol is the only thing that make people fun, then I don't know what to say to you, buddy. Yeah. No, my, my friend there is not having a great time in general, just trying to drink (laughs) things. fun. It is. It's really though. I, I love this idea that, that like, once you get through, I don't know how long it took you to find a new direction. I want to say it took me at least a year till I felt like, okay, I can see how my life is going to look and how busy I I'm going to be. But like, I love the idea of finding more meaningful, satisfying depth in my life now. And in those relationships, then yeah, I went to a party and we funneled the beer and you know, it was great. Great. Not saying those things aren't fun for certain people. Um, but it is very different now the way I connect with people. And I have a feeling if I ever needed help, the people who I'm friends with now would be there Versus the type I had in the past. Yeah. And, and all the stories you have out of parties, you realize are relaying how drunk someone got. I'm like, they didn't say anything interesting. It's just, yeah, he got so drunk. He put a hot dog up his nose. Ah, what a guy. And fell into a fridge and everyone goes, what a night. And I was like, (laughs) 
right. uh, what I put all my effort into, so which is uh, makes winters a bit more difficult. Golf. Yeah. yeah you golf is the greatest. Whole... Golf is the greatest game for your mental health that was ever created. Which is ironic because it's also the most infuriating. But getting to go outside and be in the sunshine and actually like focus and try and compete against yourself. It's wonderful. Actually, Ryan Fabro just let me into this room here who I think you played golf with maybe two years ago, right after you got sober. But anyway, the, um, the, the golf thing for me is also recommitment. I used to play golf competitively when I was a teenager and then I played hockey and got drunk for 20 years. And then now I'm like really fired up about it again. And you know what else is really neat when you're 40 and you don't drink? I have a couple of dollars that I didn't used to have that I used to spend on things. I bought a rangefinder. I expect to be on the tour shortly now. I got a rangefinder now, Dan. Well, here is the greatest quote I've ever found about golf, and I posted this on my stories uh, the other day. Here it is. A 15 handicap can hit a tour-level shot at any moment, but an average baseball player can't throw a 95-mile-an-hour heater or hit a 400-foot home run. I think this is part of why golf drives us insane sometimes. We get glimpses of grandeur. And I'm like, yes, that's it. You hit a couple shots around. You're like, I could be on the tour. Yeah. It's like, if I just do the thing I just did, which was not that hard every time, uh, you know, like I am Jordan Spieth. But no, (laughs) it, it is a harsh reality check. I also... Getting worse at something as I get older also is a frustrating thing. So I'm fighting back against that. But yeah, I get that. There was a girl who played golf where I was a junior golfer. She had two hole-in-ones in a week on a par three that she hit driver on. And it's just like, why why can't we do that with any consistency? It is absolutely mad. And a good life metaphor, both trying to be consistent with the things you do well. Ah. Uh. Now I got to sit and think about golf all day for the rest of the day. <laughs> There's worse things to think about. That's a, that's We're getting a good close. Uh, Justin, really appreciate you coming on down and back and it's out right now. Get it. Get and it. It's available in all the places. Good books are sold. I'm supposed to say, please guarantee we will play golf this summer and you will sign this for me. I promise you. I would love to play golf with you, man. That'd be awesome. Okay. Thanks, Justin. Or should I say Jason? It doesn't matter either way. Thanks, man. Justin's on the radio every afternoon on on the fan 590 in Toronto. And I'm sure they put out uh, in form of a podcast. He's on with Nick Kiprios. And you see him the odd time on Hockey Night in Canada. He was on during the playoffs last year, as he mentioned. Hopefully they bring him back because just a smart guy. Does his homework. Uh, so get that wherever you can, you, you can get books, Amazon, uh, they have books before all they used to sell was books. You go to Amazon for a book. Now be careful if you get a used book though, because you have the option to buy new or used. I bought a used book recently and the book that showed up, someone took it from a library. It has all the library markings and sold it to me. So uh, someone's missing a library book. I hope I don't get charged the late fees because I now own it. But you shouldn't get a used book because this damn thing just came out. Get it. You'll enjoy it. See ya. Welcome to Boomsies with Dan O'Toozie. Live from Orno in the heart of Ontario. Oh, baby, boom.
Boomsies. Thanks for listening to Boomsies.